do pastors need to preach about abortion more? It's a question I've been asked a ton of times, and I think for some, my answer might be a little bit surprising. Stay tuned for more. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a podcast dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform culture. Thanks a ton for tuning in. I hope that you have had a wonderful um, start to the year 2023. Maybe you're listening to this sometime other than the start of 2023. Um, I hope that whenever you're listening to it, you're doing well. Um, and I hope that this show can be helpful for you when it comes to having good conversations about abortion. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's what the greatest need, in my humble opinion, is in the pro-life movement, more people who are engaging the culture, um, changing public opinion so that together we can change public policy and public practice ultimately at the end of the day. So that's where we're at. Um, I'm really excited for the show and I'm really excited for this year. There's a few new things coming out this year that I'm really excited about. I got a bunch of really cool um, episodes coming up with a variety of different guests coming on the show, which is going to be really cool in and of itself. But one big thing that I'm excited about is um, that a new thing we're going to be doing on the show is for any guest that has either a book, some merch, something like that, we're going to be doing some giveaways. And how we're going to be doing it, rather than doing it on social media, we're going to be doing it through um, our mailing list. And for many of you who have subscribed on our website, prolifeguys.com, You'll see that the website has been neglected a little bit. That's something that I'm, um, I've said as one of my New Year's resolutions to get the website updated and um, up to speed a little bit more. And there's an option on there to sign up for our mailing list um, or our emailing list, I should say. You're not getting a ton of stuff um, in the, the physical mail, but um, on there, we're going to be doing some sweet giveaways. And so we don't have one lined up for this week, but in the coming weeks, we're going to have lots of books that we're giving away, some merch, some other things as well um, to basically say thank you to you, our wonderful guest. Um, we're not doing this big push because I'm worried about getting deplatformed or anything like that. Maybe I should be worried about that, but I'm not. Um, I, I just want to basically extend my appreciation to you, our wonderful listeners, um, and get you some cool content beyond just the audio content that you get through the show. And so if you haven't already subscribed, go to prolifeguys.com. The link will be in the show notes below. Um, check it out. Um, sign up there, and we're going to get not only some contests going through there and some giveaways, but also more information maybe some exclusive episodes, all that kind of thing. Looking forward to that. Let's dive into the meat and potatoes today. Um, and, and before I actually do that, I suppose, I want to give a little bit of background on what is motivating this episode. I, I hope that this isn't a super hot take um, on whether or not pastors should be preaching about abortion more or less or about the same that they are from the pulpit. Um, what this is partly motivated by. So I, cards on the table, I've been asked about this a ton of times by both those who think that their community is preaching about it too often, those who don't think that it's being preached about enough, um, those who think that it's fantastic how often or how little it's being preached about. And so there's a lot of that context that's been kind of bubbling in the back of my mind for a little while here. Um, but it kind of came to a point over the Christmas holiday. Uh, my, my family and I were back in Victoria where I was born and raised. My in-laws, um, all of my wife's family are from Victoria as well. We we're back there and um, 
I kind of got brought up to speed with a really unfortunate situation that happened at a church um, to a priest that I is a very good friend of mine. I have done a lot of ministry and a lot of work with him on a, a lot of different angles um, in my life. And, and I have a profound amount of respect and appreciation for him. Um, and I, it was shared with me that he had been basically verbally harassed by a member of the congregation who called him and shouted at him for a very long time that he wasn't preaching about abortion often enough. Um, and that's always a tough thing. And, and it's always kind of puts me in, a, I feel like a little bit of a pickle because everyone kind of assumes what my answer is going to be. Uh, a lot of people are going to as assume that I in every single situation will say abortion should be preached about more from the pulpit. And that's not actually my take. I don't think necessarily that in every church at every time there should be more um, preaching about abortion. True. I think there should be preaching about abortion. I'm not going to get into kind of the, the theology or, or um, I don't even know what the word is on, on the purpose of the sermon and homilies. I'm not going to get into, um, all of that, that that pastors are probably learning at seminaries, and they don't need to learn from me, who's never been to seminary, on a podcast. Um, I'm going to get into a little bit as to how I think pastors could preach more, or why they should preach um, towards the end of the episode. But my hot take is this, that the... Um, the strength of the pro-life worldview at a church should not be evaluated based on the frequency of preaching, but rather on the vibrancy of ministry of the laity. I don't think that the greatest indicator about the pro-life um, worldview within a church is dictated by the passion of the priest, but rather by the activity of the laity. What do I mean by that? Well, I think that, sure, there's tremendous value in a priest, a pastor, whomever they may be, a church leader, speaking about abortion from the pulpit. In whether it's an educational or, as I'll get into more through the episode, in an empowerment kind of capacity, that abortions are happening within the Christian church. That That is a fact that's been reported by, not only anecdotally, by so many of the churches that I've worked with, but also um, statistically by the Guttmacher Institute and lots of other polling that's happened in Canada, America, around the world. Um, abortions are performed on Christian mothers. That happens. Christian fathers drive them to abortion facilities. It's happening. And maybe it's happening more or less in your church. I don't think there's any church in which this is a complete non-issue, but I think that it's fair to say that there are some churches that this may be a little bit more frequent than others, but it's impossible to speculate, honestly, because I have spoken at very small C conservative or small O orthodox churches on both the Catholic and the Protestant side, and in all of those settings, I have spoken with people after presentations about um, the fact that they've had abortion. They've had multiple abortions. They know lots of people within their church who have had abortions. I've spoken to pastors at very, very um, strong, doctrinally and vibrant churches who have, have shared with me that a number of people within their congregation have had abortions. Many of them have had abortions while being members of the congregation, many of them had abortions before they came to Christ. Many of them had abortions before they um, became affiliated with the church. Um, and so there, there certainly is a role for education and bringing this up. But the reason why I think that it needs to be more than just preaching from the pulpit is the exact same reason that I think that pro-life outreach is more than just a march for life. 
yes, it's really valuable and really important to have kind of a focal point or, or a big opportunity to bring this back into the forefront of many people's minds. I think there's tremendous value in that. But if a church is saying, you know, we, we preach on abortion quarterly, we're better than those other churches who only speak on abortion maybe annually or maybe not at all. We speak on abortion quarterly, but that speaking on abortion doesn't flow into outreach, then we're missing the mark. I don't think that the backbone of the pro-life ministry at your church should be the pastor. I think that the pastor should be a catalyst in how they empower the ministry, how they empower the laity, just as they can be the, the catalyst for any other ministry at the church. They're the catalyst for Bible studies. They're the catalyst for adult catechism. They're the catalyst for um, feeding the hungry or these other things. But I don't think that um, they're the the ministry should live and die on the involvement of the pastor i think the pastor is more involved in the the motivation and empowerment of the laity for the very simple reason there's more of the laity right that, that the pastor can't do everything at the the church at the parish whatever it may be um they can't do everything and therefore it's unreasonable to think that every pastor is going to prioritize this above all else there's only so many hours in a day and whether prioritizing this might lead towards neglect of the sacraments, whether it leads to a neglect of catechesis, whether it leads to a neglect of, of any number of other things, I think that while the priest, the pastor, the leader of your faith community should be involved and aware of the pro-life ministry, I don't necessarily believe that they should always be or often be the backbone of that entity. And so all that to say, what needs to happen? What needs to happen? If, if we're not going to say that in every church, we just need to be preaching about abortion every Sunday, preaching about abortion every Sunday is not going to end abortion in Canada. It's not going to end abortion in your church. It's not going to end, um, it's not going to save as many lives as a more comprehensive approach to the abortion issue. For, for some, for some mothers, the, the difference between choosing life or choosing abortion for their child is going to be whether or not they hear um, a homily. I, I'm sure the Priest for Life, Priest for Life Canada, uh, I'm sure that lots of different um, faith leadership pro-life entities will acknowledge that, that there have been babies saved because of preaching on abortion. I'm not denying that. I just think that far more children can be saved if there's a more comprehensive approach. What does that look like? I want to give a bit of a pitch for how to effectively launch pro-life ministry at your church. Maybe there already is a pro-life ministry. That's phenomenal. Maybe some of these tools can be used to enhance, develop, improve, um, empower that ministry. If you don't have a pro-life ministry at your church, if you don't have an active pro-life presence, I hope that some of these tools, I, I got five of them here, I believe. Um, one of them has a lot of parts, parts to it. Um, these five tools can help you launch an effective, meaningful pro-life ministry at your church. So number one, get help. Now, uh, number one, basically don't reinvent the wheel. Um, the fact that you've, you've got a heart for preborn children, you want to launch a pro-life ministry, that's phenomenal. That's incredible. Don't feel like you have to start from scratch, right? There's a lot of entities out there. And um, though I may be a little bit biased because I have the pleasure of working with them at CCBR, we have an incredible team of church outreach specific folks. We have uh, Miranda King, who was the first one hired um, at this time for leading church engagement. And so she's based out of our Toronto office. She's phenomenal. Uh, my colleague here in Calgary, 
Virginia, who has been doing um, a ton of tremendous work here um, in Calgary as well. We've got Conrad Sabiga as well, who's doing some work with Catholic churches in Eastern Canada. And then people like Kyle Coffey in Manitoba, myself here in, in Calgary, um, Kateri and Rachel and others, Carmel in Vancouver. Many of us are very passionate about helping navigate the particular challenges and opportunities that present themselves within your church community. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Don't feel like you have to invent your own curriculum, your own planning, your own protocols, all that kind of stuff. We're here to help. We're not here to take over. Don't worry that like, oh, if, if I affiliate with CCBR, if I ask them for help, then I'm going to have to do every single thing that they say. That's not how we roll. We want to help you. We want to supplement um, what you've already got on the go. We want to help you bring to fruition an effective pro-life ministry within the context of your church. And you're going to have the paradigm of your church. You're going to have the context of where you're at, the needs of your society. Um, and, and we want to help you along the way. And so if you want help, reach out. I'm going to drop the email um, similar to last week below email at prolifeguys.com. That's going to come to me. I will direct you on towards the necessary um, link that you can find, um, whether that's Virginia and Western Canada, whether that's Miranda and Eastern Canada, whether that's Kyle or Kateri or Rachel or somebody else who can help you out, whether that's Conrad. I don't want to forget about Conrad. He's a newer hire um, who's phenomenal. I met with him shortly before Christmas to talk about Catholic Church Outreach. Um, get help. So that's number one. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. Um, there's a lot of wisdom in the pro-life movement that you can tap into. And while you might have a ton of really great ideas, it can be really valuable to have a sounding board to bounce them off of the number of times I've, I've met with church leadership, um, both um, the clergy and laity, and have them present a what in their opinion is a brilliant idea and to do a little bit of troubleshooting of, hey, I, I really like these components of that idea. We've seen these other components play out in not super helpful or even at times um, really, really much of a, a hindrance kind of way to be able to get that insight from people who have worked with a ton of different churches might be helpful. Number two, so you get help with that help develop what are called SMART goals. SMART with, I mean, it's an acronym. It's not just like make good ideas. Um, but rather, many of you may be familiar with the idea of SMART goals. I'm going to run through them very quickly for what they could mean for your church and for your church ministry. The S in SMART, specific. Make your goals specific so that people know what they're getting involved with. I feel like there's a lot of people who are anxious or reluctant or ambivalent towards getting involved in ministry because they really don't know what it entails, what their contributions are going to contribute towards, what is even being asked of them. I know a ton of people who don't get involved with these ministries because they're worried they're going to be a black hole and they're going to get asked to not only dedicate far more time than they're willing or able to dedicate, but also they're going to be like going to get asked to do things that they have no competency towards. And so having specific goals, knowing exactly what you're shooting towards and what is necessary to get there. Um, I, I want to point to, and I'm going to drop again in the show notes below, um, an episode that I recorded with my colleague Blaze Elaine talking about theory of action versus theory of change and how to develop smart goals by working backwards from an ultimate goal that is specific, that you can work back and, and make tangible steps towards a specific goal and not just have a super abstract 
were Dunder Mifflin style mission statement that is so abstract that, that you have no idea whether or not you're actually getting closer or further away from your goal. Having a specific goal so that you can communicate to people within your congregation what um, what you're looking for, what you need, what you're trying to build and how they specifically can be involved in and bite-sized pieces, that kind of thing. Smart um, goals with specific targets. The second in SMART, the M in SMART is measurable. What does success look like? How are you measuring success? Because that's going to be another major indicator for people's willingness to get involved with your ministry. People are not going to want to throw time towards a sinking ship. They're not going to want to throw time towards a ministry that they don't understand and they don't actually know if they're making a difference. People love to know that they're actually making a difference. And while obviously many of the differences that we we strive for, that we pray for, are not going to be known in this lifetime, right? 40 Days for Life is a beautiful example that, that we're not going to know a lot of the, the results of our um, vigil prayer, our witnessing, until, Lord willing, we... Um, we come in, into the glorious kingdom at the end of our lives kind of thing, that, that we're not going to know a lot of the impact. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have any measurable targets. We might have measurable targets on the number of people that we want to engage in conversation, the number of congregants in our church that we want to train in pro-life apologetics, the number of pieces of pro-life literature we want to distribute in our local community, the number of hours of volunteering that we want to have the local pregnancy care center whatever it may be the amount of money that we're trying to raise for a particular target we're not just trying to get all of the monies so that the pregnancy care center can be better and better and better but rather the pregnancy care center has this particular need this um educational pro-life group this political pro-life group have a particular need and we are trying to meet that particular need a measurable target that people can know that they've contributed or are in the process of contributing towards achieving something meaningful, effective, and tangible. Number three in the SMART, the A is for achievable. Um, I, I love when people set lofty goals. And this is something, these achievable goals are going to be something that you're going to discern as the ministry unfolds, right? That you don't want to set a target too low, but you also don't want to set a target too high, right? That, that it might be probably is, almost guaranteed, is impossible, unlikely, unachievable to have every single member of your congregation doing pro-life outreach every single week. That's probably impossible based on people's commitment, people's um, abilities, competencies, availabilities, passions, all that kind of stuff. Um, set a realistic goal. Don't set the goal for your um, home church to have conversations with every single person in the greater Toronto area in the span of the next six weeks because that's not going to happen. Right, So set um, achievable goals that you can build upon. We talked about, and, and I'll, I'll mention again, that Theory of Change episode with Blaise Elaine um, that'll be in the show notes. Um, make goals that work towards an ultimate goal, but your, your next step, then over the next quarter, over the next year, over the next three years, five years, whatever it may be, we're working towards something that's tangible. Have a reason why you think that it is tangible. Whether it's because you're working with a group like CCBR and we've said, okay, we've, we've worked with 5, 10, 15 churches who have been able to achieve this in one, three, five years, whatever it may be, um, have reasons for why you think your SMART goal is actually achievable. Number three, relevant. Um, this is 
going to be another bit of a spicy one. Does your goal actually fill a need within your community? And that's a hot take because what I'm referring to largely is a lot of churches gravitate towards the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement. And don't get me wrong. I love the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement. They do incredible, necessary, essential, beautiful, all of the great adjectives work. There is a tremendous value in the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement. And yet the hot take is that for many communities, the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement is fairly well covered already right? That for many groups, the local pregnancy care center has a lot of the raw material resources that they need. They have the diapers, they have the baby clothing, they have the strollers, they have a lot of the stuff that your church can offer. Maybe they need a few more counselors. Maybe they need some people manning the the desk. Understand what is actually needed in your community so that you're not duplicating stuff. You're not, um, I, I think about it time and again, more on the, the soup kitchen um, or, or food pantry sort of thing where they put out a call for um, for food for the, the soup kitchen or whatever. And everyone brings in their cans of, of Campbell's tomato soup and they say, okay, well, this is great, but we have like 4 trillion flats of Campbell's tomato soup. We don't actually need any more Campbell's tomato soup. We need peanut butter. We need diapers. We need deodorant. We need shampoo. We need whatever. Um, figure out what the need in your community is. And again, this might sound a little bit biased. There is a need for educational pro-life outreach, right? Regardless of whether there is also a need for pastoral um, care, whether there is lack in material resources, counselors, um, receptionist, whatever it may be. If there's a need there, then then so be it. I, I, I'm not saying that, that every single pregnancy care center has absolutely everything they need. What I'm what I am saying though is that I can basically guarantee I don't know any communities in Canada. I don't know any communities around the world. If you're one of these communities, then let me know. I don't know any communities around the world where educational pro-life outreach has no needs. Right. We at, at CSPR, we we achieved over what what was it over 10,000 hours of volunteer and staff and intern hours of activism, uh, which is tremendous. That, that's an incredible achievement. Praise God for that. Um, thank you to all of our staff and volunteers and, and interns who contributed towards that. We didn't blanket anywhere. Right. We didn't have conversations with everybody in Calgary, not anywhere close to that. We had like several thousand conversations in Calgary, which is incredible. But when you consider the fact that there's over a million people that we could be talking to, there is a desperate and urgent need for more people doing pro-life outreach. And I know pro-life outreach is more daunting, more intimidating, more challenging often than donating towards pregnancy care center. I get it. That's where we come in. That's the help that we want to provide. That is the support that we want to offer, the mentorship, the guidance, the leadership, the process, as we've talked about on the show on numerous occasions, we would love to come and work with your church community, your your local community, whatever it may be, to provide training, to provide uh, mentorship through mock dialogue, as we talked about last week with Quiana, mock dialogue, feedback through debriefing, and also, um, if at all possible, giving you the opportunity to listen to our real-life conversations at doorsteps and on street corners so that you can see how we're having conversations and then we can be that safety blanket for you um, as you start having conversations and we can jump in as your tongue might get tied or whatever it may be. We want to help you do this. We get that it's really difficult. We get that it's daunting and and um, challenging, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that it's not necessary. 
And so let's not just focus on pastoral efforts because they're convenient. They may be absolutely necessary. And if they are, then absolutely dive into that. But we need a more comprehensive look than just having um, thorough pro-life um, pastoral ministry, right? That that abortions aren't happening because there's a lack of supply. There's there's tremendous support available. Uh, you look at Choice for Two, our colleagues over at Choice for Two, Laura Clausen and her team, they fill um, baby registries so quickly. I, I still don't think that I've ever seen a registry get posted that hasn't been filled within like 24 hours. It's incredible, the support that's available. And and I'm sure that for many people, even the local pregnancy care center is able to offer a tremendous amount of support. There's a ton of support available. And yet there are people who stroll right on by that into abortion facilities because in today's day and age, abortion is more manageable, more convenient, more acceptable than pregnancy. And there's no way that we can make pregnancy easier than how easy abortion is perceived to be by the overwhelming majority of people in our society, right? The overwhelming majority of people in our society believe that abortion is something that you can schedule on a Thursday afternoon to remove a clump of cells that is not a human and be back to work on Monday. Your husband, your boyfriend, your family, your church, your work doesn't need to know. You take one day off work, maybe, maybe a couple more. Um, and you're back to work and nobody needs to know. It's the great reset button. We can't make pregnancy easier than that. We need to make abortion more challenging. We need to make abortion more challenging through education, right? So that people realize that abortion directly and intentionally kills the weakest, most vulnerable member of the human family. And that we can't solve the problems that mothers are faced with by killing children. Education is the greatest weakness in the pro-life movement at this point. And we desperately need people getting involved there. So relevant. Um, that was a very long um, bit on being relevant, knowing the needs of your society um, and community. There may be a pastoral need. There absolutely is an educational need. And there very likely is a political need as well. But I'm going to get to that in a few moments. Last one, the T in SMART goals. T is time bound. How will you track progress? How will you um, gauge the importance of or, or the relevancy of setting new targets, setting new goals. Maybe you have an initial goal if you want to have five people within your ministry who are doing pro-life outreach. Okay, how do you know when to set a new goal? How do you know when you're making or, or how quickly you should be making progress towards that? Again, that's going to come through the mentorship and support of our team or other teams out there to help you know um, what are realistic targets, not only for for manpower and whatnot, but also for how quickly you should be progressing through different components that um, how much training do you need before you should be out doing pro-life outreach? Because there's an unlimited amount of training that you could do. You could spend your entire life reading books um, by brilliant pro-lifers like Justina Van Manen, like Trent Horn, like Stephanie Gray Connors, like so many others. And um, if we spend all of our time in the classroom and none of our time in the culture, then who is it that loses out? It's preborn children. So again, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time bound. Okay. So that's number two, believe it or not. So one, get help. Two, develop smart goals. The last three are going to get, um, go a little bit quicker. Uh, number three, don't get discouraged, right? Every ministry starts off slowly. 
Every ministry starts off slowly. Uh, my colleague Virginia and I are working with a church here in Calgary who's been trying to launch one of our um, study series. An incredible, incredible volunteer. She's got um, kids running around. She's got a lot of commitments on the go already. Um, and the church that she is involved with is, is a great church. I've spoken there a couple times. They've got incredible people. They've got incredible ministries. They've got a, a huge heart for preborn children. And yet she hasn't had anybody sign up for her study series in spite of all the work and advertising that she's done. And I, I appreciate how frustrating and how discouraging that can be. Don't let that lead you towards despondency. Don't let that lead you towards giving up on, on your congregation, on your friends, on your church family. Um, every ministry takes a long time to, um, to really anchor itself within a church. Right. There, there might be some that pop up quickly because of an urgent need. Right. The, there's a lot of churches that have a, a Ukrainian refugee fund or something like that because of the desperate need. And and I don't think that it it helps any of us to compare the progress of our ministries towards other ones like that. I mean, um, for the <laughs> sake of it, just because it pops into mind, I, I think of all of those memes out there about how. Amazon and Microsoft and Apple and all these kind of things started out in the garage and slowly built and built and built and took a long time. I think of actors who didn't get their breakthrough until they were in their um, 50s or 60s or whatever kind of thing. Um, that doesn't mean that we should be complacent and accept um, that it's inevitable that we're never going to have anybody as part of our pro-life ministry. What I mean is that let's work together on how do we build from the ground up. How do we put together a small, dedicated team that builds and builds and builds with meaningful, effective growth? Because the other thing that we don't want is you might not have the infrastructure or the ability to support a pro-life ministry that gets launched and has 100 people in it right away. And they all want to do something and you don't have enough things for them to do. I mean, that would be a great problem to have. Doesn't happen very often, to be fair. But there's beauty and there's value in developing uh, a ministry that starts small and gradually grows over time, that has the roots, that has the foundation, whatever other analogy you want to use um, for success. And so please don't get discouraged when your first meeting has two or three people out to it. Don't get discouraged when you don't have anybody sign up for your, your study series. Um, we're here. We're here to help you. We're here to help meet the needs of your church and navigate whatever challenges you might be facing Um we're in this for the long run and and we really want to help find whatever um, solutions we can for your church. And so that's number three. Number four is absolutely essential and I feel like doesn't get done very often. Number four is communicate results with the greater community and with your pastor, right? You, you launch this pro-life ministry, you get the blessing of your priest, your pastor, whomever it may be, and then you disappear and they never hear about this again. And they say, oh, okay, well... Um, so many ministries, so many small businesses, so many whatevers um, all disappear after the first year kind of thing. I have no idea if they're doing well. And you might be in there having the time of your life because you're seeing people change their mind. You're seeing babies saved. You're seeing all this kind of stuff. But then you might be getting frustrated that more people aren't joining your ministry. And sure, you've got a, a tiny little um, announcement in the bulletin that very few people are going to read. You've got a little poster over on the, on the side that hasn't been changed for the last two years, that kind of thing. You need to communicate the success to be able to get people fired up and help them understand your SMART goals. And so when you have a meeting, share the outcome of that meeting with your pastor. And not just a negative, oh, we only had five people come out. Hey, Father Jake, Father whomever, Pastor this, Reverend whomever, um, 
we had we had five people come out. They were really engaged in the conversation. It was a really cool discussion, and they were really excited about coming out for another event. They're passionate about the X, Y, or Z. They really want to see something else happen. They've they've thought about this for a long time. It was a really cool event, and and here's what one of them said about the value of the documentary that we showed or the presentation that we hosted or whatever. Share the positives even more than you share the negatives, right? It it does mean being dishonest. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you to do that. I'm not going to tell you to pretend to your pastor that it was the best event ever when it wasn't. But try to find the pros that came out of it. And even if it's you and your husband or you and your wife, and you're the only people who show up, and it just gives you a little bit of time to brainstorm, um, the next event or what could happen or what could bring more people out. You know what? Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get anyone come out, but it was a really good opportunity for me and Mr. Daniels to sit down and talk about how we could build towards the March for Life. We're really excited about this idea. Here's what we're thinking. Share that. But even more so, when you are seeing more and more success, you got to share that with the community. Whether that's having a pro-life bulletin board at the back, whether that's having a a pro-life corner on your bulletin that is more than just abstract information, but rather we've trained X number of people, we've engaged Y number of people in our community, we've seen this many people change their minds on abortion, we've seen this many people attend the March for Life or get trained or whatever it may be, share those SMART goals and how you're progressing towards your SMART goal with the community because everyone gets fired up about successful ventures. And so show the success of your movement and and be grateful, be thankful for that. And if it's not going exactly the way that you'd like it, still find the pros and cons that you can and share them with the pastor. And hopefully they can help to troubleshoot. And this is where we come back in many ways to the role of the pastor. The role of the pastor, I believe, I think can be very valuable when it comes to the empowerment component. When the pastor can share your reflections and results with the congregation and say, I really want to highlight in today's um, sermon because of whatever readings we we read from beforehand and whatever is on my heart and whatever's in the news, our pro-life ministry, who has been doing X, Y, Z and has been seeing these kinds of results. And I really want to encourage you to get involved with the the church's pro-life ministry because there's a Christian mandate, get into some exegesis, all that kind of stuff um, to do pro-life ministry and to defend the widow and the orphan. I'm not going to be the one who explains all of this. Um, Pastors know this already by and large. Um, Communicate so that they can communicate on, so they can empower your ministry by recruitment, by by excitement and and all that kind of stuff rather than them needing to be the backbone. The last thing that I'll say is take time to reflect and make a dynamic pro-life ministry. Don't just do things because you've always done them. This goes especially to those who already have active pro-life ministries at your church. Evaluate the effectiveness of what you're doing. Maybe you're doing the most effective thing. Don't change for the sake of change. Change for the sake of effectiveness change for the sake of meeting the needs of your community. Maybe you've always donated $1,000 a year to the local pregnancy care center. Go to the pregnancy care center and see what they need because maybe they need something other than money. Maybe they say, you know what? We're not going to say no to your $1,000 a year, but like we're pretty well set here. We've got everything that we need. We're really excited about um, the, the programming and materials that we have available. This is really good. And maybe you say, okay, 
we're not going to strip the pro we're not going to forget about the pregnancy care center but maybe we need to augment this with more than just a passive financial donation maybe we need people thinking more critically about abortion within their own sphere of influence maybe we need some education again um to to get people thinking about the issue of abortion and so um take time to reflect on what has been done on the goals that you've set and and don't be afraid to be dynamic don't be afraid to pivot to look at opportunities and challenges and um, strengths and weaknesses of your church of your community of your sphere of influence and say hey we we've done this for a really long time we've done this for a very short period of time but we have this other opportunity that we want to explore for these concrete reasons we've developed a smart goal on this focus um we're not going to dash around like a, a squirrel before winter sort of thing but we are going to critically look at what we're doing and whether it's the most effective thing that we can be doing and whether or not it's the most relevant thing that we can be doing so all that in summary i know there's been a long episode of me rambling um, i hope that it's been valuable in summary five things that you can do to help launch a pro-life ministry get help from ccbr from miranda from virginia from kyle myself conrad um any number of other people get help so that we can navigate the specific um strengths weaknesses opportunities and um challenges of your community um develop a smart goal or several smart goals by reflecting on a theory of change and how to work towards a meaningful target um, number three don't get discouraged if things start off small things start off non-existent this may very well take time it might go off like um, um there's lots of idioms that i could say but i don't know um the origins of all of them so i won't it might go off like uh an absolute firecracker and that's great and roll it praise god for that if it doesn't that doesn't mean that it's a failure it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it. it might just mean that we need a a different approach a more nuanced approach a more strategic approach or just more time uh number four communicate communicate results and outcomes and needs to your pastor and to your community communicate those smart goals so that people know what you're looking for why you're looking for them and how they can contribute towards it so they too can feel um, a part of the ministry number five reflect and ensure that you have a dynamic ministry hitting the needs of your community and so <clears throat> that's fantastic um i hope that that's helpful for you any priests or pastors who are tuning in, please don't stop preaching about abortion, but evaluate why you're preaching about abortion and whether it's sufficient or simply necessary. I would argue that it's necessary, but it was almost never, if ever, sufficient. We need more than just preaching from the pulpit. We need vibrant um, ministry led by the laity, catalyzed by the, the um, clerics and um, leadership of the church. And so that's my hot take. Let me know if you agree, if you disagree, questions, concerns, how this could work for your church. Again, I'll drop the, the email, email at, at um, prolifeguys.com. Reach out to me if you want help launching pro-life ministry in your church. The last thing that I'm going to say is that um, I have actually changed my mind during the course of this podcast. And we are going to do a giveaway to our, um, our email list folks. And so if you're not... Um, not on the email list already, please do so. I'm sending out an email um, the day that this is posted, which will be on, let me look at my calendar here, <clears throat> um, Tuesday, January 10th. Um, 
an email go out. So if you're not on the email list already, please do sign up. Um, it'll go out later in the day. Actually, you know what? I'm going to give you a day or two to get involved. The email is going to go out at the end of the day on Wednesday, January 11th. And so please do sign up um, before then. There'll be a contest um, for a couple of pro-life guy shirts um, coming out there. And so one of these shirts that I'm wearing, um, one of each of the other shirts that we have here as well. And so thanks a ton for tuning in. Um, I, I wish you all the best um, in um, your pro-life outreach and ministry. I hope that these episodes are helpful. And again, as always, please don't hesitate to reach out with questions, suggestions of guests or topics. Um, I'll try my best to make them happen. Thanks much and God bless you abundantly.